Okay, uh, back again, one o'clock, 1300 for you military types, April 12th, 2023, and Domini, whatever. Uh, lots to move through, so I will be moving quickly because, like I said, lots to move through. No, number one, um, Patch Tuesday was interesting uh, because there was a mother load of patches released. If you have not patched your Windows machine, go patch your stuff like right now because there's a whole lot. Like I think it was 59 things that came out. Run your patch. If you don't, you kind of deserve what may and probably will happen to you. So don't suck at patching. Um, it's a it's a real thing. Jeff Schilling, by the way, is the uh, CISO that came up with that uh, comment hashtag, whatever you want to call it, a long time ago. Um, he's one of the best in the business and someone I consider a mentor. So all credit to Jeff Schilling for um, coming up with don't suck at patching. Now, first off, let's talk about this AI artificial intelligence thing. Um, if you're not familiar with chat GPT and some of these other ones, I'm going to actually run through a couple things here because I've been playing a lot with uh, GPT-4 and chat GPT just to see what other things I could get it to do that it was not supposed to do or maybe it was supposed to do, but could be used for other purposes. The The big one I've been doing lately is um, having chat GPT and GPT-4 write scripts for me. Uh, I can program. I suck at it. I'm not good at programming. I'm, I don't enjoy it. Uh, I can write really ugly shit that will work, but it's not by any means something anyone would be proud of. So my question was, well, how hard would it be to get ChatGPT or GPT-4 to write some scripts for me? So literally at 12.15 today, Eastern Standard Time, I went in and I had it write a couple of scripts. And this is, and I'll, I'll read what I actually had it do. So um, I was doing uh, some poking around and just trying to automate ways to look for open source stuff and trying to see if there was any interesting things I could get it to. And I said, chat GPT or GPT-4, I said, write a Python script to me to find open source emails and tie them to Facebook accounts. And it, it warns you. Now, the warning that it gives is it says collecting OSINT via Facebook can be a complex task and requires careful consideration of ethical and legal issues. Uh, however, if you have permission, which define permission for me to collect data and want to extract from Facebook, you can use Facebook Graph API. Now, anybody that does this stuff knows that that's there. However, it wrote an entire script for me. And the best thing is when it was done, it just says copy code. So now it, I think it. I, I sat there with my phone and actually tracked it. It took seven seconds for this thing, I literally said, write me this script in Python and go get me this stuff, which was open source emails and phone numbers, and then tie it to Facebook. And it did all that um, in seven, 10 seconds. So now seven to 10 seconds, this thing wrote code and it's really good code. I even took the code and ran it through something to check for the quality of the code and it was solid. So this thing is, is interesting in its capability there. And I'm not paying for this. This is the free version. I also said, because I like to tie things together and have scripts work off of scripts to do stuff, I said, well, take that output and then write me a script to tie that output into any leaked passwords for accounts that show up on Pastebin. Now, obviously, I'm not going to share any of this stuff with people because I don't want to get myself in trouble. And it does tell you, again, searching for leaked passwords on Pastebin can be difficult and time-consuming as there are a large number of posts made every day. However, you can use the Pastebin API to automate the process. Here is a Python script that uses the Pastebin API to look for posts containing what you requested. And again, it took, I, I think this one took about 11 seconds. 
and it wrote the script and it's all right there for me to copy. And it even tells me at the bottom how to use what it did for me so that I can get the maximum output from that script. So in the, in the realm of, um, risky stuff, like I think if you've, if you've been sitting around with the conversation going on about, uh, you know, artificial intelligence ruining the world and whatever else, like, I don't, I'm not concerned about that, but really if you're looking at the commoditization of compromise activity and hacking and cybersecurity skill sets and whatever else, here you go. Um, super easy to do takes literally zero knowledge and depending on what you get it to spit back out, you have a weaponized program. Now, is it going to give you a super amazing results? Mm, maybe not, but you can continue to ask it to refine that script. So I could go run this right now. And if it didn't give me the results I really wanted, I could go back and go, hey, those results weren't totally accurate. Can you change this or give me an input or output along those lines? So, I mean, this like eternal blue was a, a watershed moment for uh, compromise activity. The use of this in this type of manner is truly concerning. Um, I, I honestly don't care about kids and people in school using this for education purposes. It's an app and you're still having to, you know, use your brain to go off and figure the questions or whatever else. I'm not concerned about that, but those those people that are having an interest or a thought, or maybe they want to get into computers, you know, cyber stuff or whatever else. And then, Oh, maybe they have a proclivity to do potentially malicious things. It makes it really stupid easy. Now I did that. And then I also went and I threw some stuff. And if you're not familiar with this thing called stable diffusion, um, stable diffusion will build basically art for you uh, off of a text prompt. So, you go in there and you type in what you want it to do and it will do it for you. So like right now I'm going to run something and say, uh, uh, I want a, I don't know, painting of a, uh, person using a computer. And so now it's running and it says processing, processing, processing. I hit enter. So I had to give it the text prompt and there we go. I have four images now in front of me that all look like paintings of a person using a computer. And I can go back and refine that and say, uh, in a new method. And let's see if it gives me a different sort of output. And again, this it's, it's seconds. So there you go. So now it took that image and it refined it. And actually it's interesting too, because I could say, uh, in a, in cubism, which is, you know, an art form or whatever else. And so there you go. And I want a painting of a person using a computer in cubism. And now I have paintings of people that are really actually pretty damn solid. Um, and it took me nothing. So, you know, are we seeing the, the commoditization of skill sets and talent and those things by the machines that are being put out to the masses where there's concern there. I mean, if you're a skilled artist or a skilled painter or whatever else, what does it matter? Uh, I can, I, I can't paint shit, but I can sit here right now on my computer and just keep refining that image until I get out what I want. And there you go. Um, or I could take your stuff and throw it in there and make it the way I want it. So, I mean, this is, 
this is truly uh, interesting times, I think. Um, so stand by for that. And if you're going to RSA in a couple of weeks, you're going to see so much stuff about chat GPT and GPT four and AI, even though it's not AI, um, that, that people are going to be marketing as part of their solution set for every solution. There's a potential other side to it. Um, I said this in my cyber warfare book, a tool is just a tool. I can dig a shovel and, and irrigate, uh, a, a farm plot and feed people. I can also take a shovel and bash someone in the skull with it, and I'm a murderer. A tool is just a tool. It's how you use it. So, um, And a shovel only operates a one-to-one. GPT and chat GPT and machine learning and these types of things, you're talking about infinite scale. So uh, I would say buckle up. Um, I'm going to keep playing with the, the scripts on this thing and see what sort of output I can get. But it's, uh, it's concerning. Um, so not that anyone's not aware of that, but <laughs> just know that. Um, if you're not familiar with the report that came out this week, uh, this was on Gizmodo. It was about FTX's cybersecurity. And the, literally the title was FTX's cybersecurity was hilariously bad, which is pretty awesome by Lupus Ropek. Um, the disgraced crypto exchange had no dedicated cybersecurity staff and quote, protected users assets with minimal safeguards. And this is according to the bankruptcy filings, which... I went and downloaded the entirety of the bankruptcy filings, which has got a lot of stuff in it. But um, here's where they were off. And this, I don't, I don't know if people were aware of this, if they had their money there, but this should have been a good indicator that everything was horseshit. They had no cybersecurity staff. They had no independent CISO, no employee with any training or experience tasked with fulfilling the responsibility of such a role, and no processes for assessing risk, implementing controls, or responding to incidents in real time. The FTX group grossly deprioritized and ignored cybersecurity controls, a remarkable fact given that in essence, the FTX group's entire business, its assets, infrastructure, intellectual property was totally based on intellectual property and computer code. Um, granted, lots of tech companies suffer from staffing shortages, but for a company like this, it's really inexcusable if you're a startup and don't have the power. But this is a $32 billion company, $32 billion that disappeared overnight. Um, FTX never used cold storage, the industry standard, which that's a crypto thing. Private cryptographic keys were left unencrypted. Another, and this is a quote, another totally idiotic thing the FTX peeps did is keep clients sensitive cryptographic keys and seed phrases stored in plain text documents that were apparently accessible to all staff. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the FTX gang did not use multi-factor authentication. The report states that the crypto exchange's leadership failed to implement in an appropriate fashion, even the most widely accepted controls. So, you know, if you got money in these types of things, I would make sure that you validate that the people running it actually, number one, aren't total shenanigan people like uh, whatever was going on there. But also, if they can't tell you who their security leadership is and they can't give you an understanding of what practices and protocols they use, I wouldn't put my money there. Um, not that I have any money to put anywhere, but for those of you that got cheddar, like be careful where you put your cheddar. Uh, Breach RX has a good report. Um, and as all as I do on these, I'll throw this the links in here. The dark side of cyber insurance and insurer marketplace and incident response. So this is a twist on usually my usual bitching about cyber insurance. Um, <clears throat> while cyber insurance policies are designed to protect businesses from financial costs costs associated with data breaches and cybersecurity incidents, important for teams to understand that cyber insurance is not a silver bullet. 
The terms of cyber insurance policies are often designed to drive down insurer cost, resulting in exclusions that can limit the coverage offered to businesses. For example, cyber insurance policies seemingly cover companies for ransomware attacks. However, most insurers now exclude coverage for payments made in cryptocurrency, hmm. which is the typical method demanded by cyber criminals. This can lead businesses with significant vulnerability for financial losses. Uh, if a company relies solely, solely on their cyber insurance policy and fails to proactively prepare for a potential cyber attack, they will face significant direct financial losses and indirect impacts like reputational damage, lost revenue, and legal liabilities. And even with insurers creating cyber insurance marketplaces ostensibly to help companies and their data breaches, these insurers are focusing specifically on lowering their cost of claims paid to the ever-growing set of companies. So, yes. The limits of cyber insurance. Cyber insurance policies offer business value, blah, blah, blah. So here's a couple things that you should be aware of. Um, suppose a small business falls victim to a ransomware attack that locks down their computer system and demands a significant sum of money to unlock those assets. Without insurance, the business could be faced with substantial costs for recovering from the breach. However, with an insurance policy in place, the business may be able to recoup some of those costs. But when the exclusions come in, all of a sudden things go sideways. Policies can be complex and the terms and conditions can vary widely between insurers. The policies are typically written with the insurer interest in mind. That makes it difficult for businesses to receive adequate coverage. Typical exclusions in most policies and are losses caused by war. This is straight from the report, terrorism and acts of God, which what is an act of God in cyber, which can limit uh, offers even further. Some insurers have equated nation state cyber attacks with acts of war so that they don't have to cover them. Even though attribution is questionable in most cases and more nations from around the world are increasingly attacking commercial companies to gain advantage, blah, blah, blah. Um, in addition, if a business experiences a data breach due to a lack of security measures or employee negligence, their cyber insurance policy may not cover the cost of the investigation and data recovery efforts. Also, most policies exclude coverage for breaches caused by third-party vendors, such as from cloud providers or payment processors. So, one last thing, when incidents inevitably occur, there are over 180 laws in 120 different countries that come to bear on the company in the middle of their response. Given most companies do not effectively prepare and know their exposure to those requirements, this Byzantine set of regulations ends up as a massive legal cost. So, if you're relying solely on cyber insurance to be the thing that saves you when things go wrong, you're gambling with it. Um, and you have to really understand the specific legal requirements that are going on here. The, the goal of the insurance market is to take care of the insurer, not the insuree. That's why they put all these things in place. So read your policies, be aware of it, whatever else. Uh, hate on them if you have to. I don't know, but I'm just saying... The goal of that market is not to take care of the people that they're the businesses that they're offering those policies to. It's to make money and it's to make sure that they're taken care of. And if you happen to do well, super great. <clears throat> yeah. Leaked documents, a very serious risk to security from the Pentagon. This is always great when the friggin' Pentagon's got stuff going on. Terra Cop, Lolita, C. Balder, et cetera, et cetera. And quickly like i have to sort of say it boggles my mind that there's so much stuff going on with 
leaks and all this other bullshit that comes around with people, you know, rolling things out of the federal government or whatever else. I worked in classified spaces with no windows and shitty air conditioning and terrible coffee for a long, long time. I can tell you, I never, ever, ever left my desk without making sure that I didn't have anything on me because I mean, yeah, there's people that will print stuff out and you fold it up and you put it in your pocket and whatever. There's people that maliciously take things, but the risk that we were always presented with of a long prison sentence, if you took things or leaked them or whatever else, and it wasn't covered under a, a whistleblower type thing was never worth it to me. Um, and everyone that I worked for, I, I made sure that anybody in my work center that we checked each other. Like, hey, when you're leaving to go somewhere and you're leaving uh, the skiff or something, you got anything on you? Check. I mean, it's just that. So the leaks thing is what bugs me. You're, there's a malicious intent behind this. Let's Let's read through this thing. This is on the AP uh, Terra Cop and Lolita C. Balder. Um, the online leaks of scores of highly classified documents about the Ukraine war present a very serious risk to national security and senior leaders are taking steps to mitigate the damage. Uh, da, 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 da. The White House said there are concerns there will, will be additional leaks, I would say, given that. Um, Chris Mager, assistant to the Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs, told reporters that uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin first became aware on Thursday that a number of classified briefing slides detailing U.S. military efforts in the Ukraine war and intelligence of all the other nations were leaked. In the days since, Austin has reached out to allies, held daily meetings to assess damage, and then look at who had access to the information. Um, a defense official who spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive matters at the Pentagon is now taking steps to reduce the number of people of access to those briefings. We used to do that when I was there and I was in all those special access programs, whatever we called it compartmentalization. Um, you didn't open the shit up to the, you know, everybody that was there. So this, this is problematic. Uh, bu -bu 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 um, and here's where things get really crazy at the white house. The national security council spokesman, John Kirby was asked if the U S was bracing for online releases. The truth and honest answer to your question. This is Kirby speaking is we don't know. And that's a matter of concern. Yeah, it should be. Um, we don't know who's behind this and we don't know what the motive is. And I guess the other question is, is it a leak from someone taking things and doing things maliciously? Or is this someone that got access to something and is leaking it for the purposes of espionage? Uh, blah, 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 blah. And additionally, they said that some of the papers have been doctored. So why would you release doctored classified information? Espionage type activity. Some of the documents show estimates of Russian troop deaths in the Ukraine war that are significantly lower than numbers publicly stated by U.S. officials. Hmm. So who would want a doctor Russian casualty reporting? Like where, where would that? I don't know. Under a section titled Total Assessed Losses, one document lists 16 to 17,000 Russian casualties and up to 71,000 Ukrainian casualties. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said publicly last number that Russia has lost well over 100,000 soldiers and Ukraine has lost about that many. Uh, those estimates have continued to climb in recent months, although officials start fighting the back numbers. So, I mean, the, there's obviously something going on here, but the, the, the question becomes, if it's a leak, who's leaking it and are they allied with the Russians and they're doing something that's malevolent in nature, insider threat type deal, or is someone somewhere somehow getting access to classified information, changing up information and then leaking it for the purposes of disinformation 
which is a classic espionage type of operation activity. <clears throat> so where does it go next? Um, I've always said that I think that cyber and, and the broad topic of cyber is the bridge between espionage and kinetic warfare. And I think that this type of stuff continues to prove that that's the way that this works because you're actually going kind of backwards where there is kinetic warfare going on and there's some sort of cyber something going on to get back to espionage operations. Um, this is going to get even more interesting as things roll out further. Yeah. Uh, PR Newswire, pin drop, voice intelligence, and security report finds consumers living in states restricting biometrics are twice as likely to experience fraud. So there's a good statistic for you. If you're not using biometrics for enabling security, multi-factor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're twice as likely to experience fraud. Um, math is hard for some people, I guess. Uh, states that impose restrictions on the use of biometrics are twice as likely to experience fraud in their consumer base. In times of financial uncertainty, fraud increases. Financial institutions experienced a 53% year-over-year increase in fraudulent activity in Q4 2022. With data breaches reaching, re reaching record levels, say that three times fast, fraudsters are leveraging data from the dark web and testing it in the uh, IVR or whatever that means uh, to identify high value accounts and taking those accounts jointly with other fraudsters. Retail has emerged as one of the most fraud dense verticals. One in every 347 calls is fraudulent within call centers. Yeah. Um, data breaches at all time higher. Retail fraud is on the rise, blah, blah, blah. This is a pin drop report, which I'll put a link into it, a uh, link to the paper in here. But the, the takeaway is if you're not using biometrics, you're twice as likely to experience fraud. And if you uh, are working for an organization or living in a state that restricts biometrics, they are choosing to risk, increase that risk by 50%. And of course, it wouldn't be a podcast without my fucking dogs barking at something because, oh, there's someone that has the balls to walk within a mile of my house. What are you going to do? Uh, Armor Blocks uh, 2023 Email Security Threat Report. And I'll put this in here too because this is a good one. And the question that people should ask is if there's so much stuff going on with um, education and training and BEC, whatever, why is this continuing to get worse? Key findings from this report include 56% attacks bypassed legacy security filters. 52% of all attacks involve sensitive user data. 58% of account compromise attacks targeted SMBs. 53% of vendor compromise attacks targeted technology organizations. 77% of business email compromise attacks that bypass legacy security solutions involve language as the main vector. So talking to the person, social engineering sort of stuff. 27 hours per week are wasted on manual remediation of gray mail by security teams. I'm not sure exactly what they classify gray mail as, but the statistics in this kind of speak to what we're talking about. Uh, when we're talking about the the ways to deal with um, uh, email security and whatever else and SMBs being involved in it. If education and training were the fix, this would not, the, the numbers would at least be trending the other direction. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but like if, if there's this billion dollar industry that is education and training for cybersecurity and whatever else and PowerPoints and all the other shit they do, why year over year, time over time, do the numbers of those types of compromises keep increasing? And it's a percentage point here and a few percentage points there, whatever else. But if the solution is effective, 
would the numbers not be trending downward over time? Um, especially when we're in a place where everybody everywhere, including kids, are aware of fishing. Um, my, my kids are. I've talked to children that are as young as my nephews are, are little bitty and they've, they've, you know, they understand the concept. Yeah. So, um, hmm. okay. Um, last one, cause I like to get this done in 30 minutes or less. <clears throat> There's an article in the guardian. Uh, I didn't give permission do AI's backers care about data law breaches? Regulators around the world are cracking down on content being hoovered up by chat, GPT, stable diffusion, and others, which is why I showed you or sort of talked about in the other part of this. Um, <clears throat> the enormous data sets used to train the latest generation of these systems, like those behind chat, GPT, and stable diffusion, contain billions of images scraped from the internet, millions of pirated ebooks, the entire proceedings of 16 years of the parliament, and the whole of English language Wikipedia. But the industry's voracious appetite for data is starting to cause problems as regulators and courts around the world crack down on researchers hoovering up content without consent or notice. In response, AI labs are fighting to keep their data set secret or even daring regulators to push the issue. In Italy, ChatGPT has been banned from operating after the country's data protection regulators said there were no legal basis to justify the collection of massive storage of personal data in order to contain and train GPT AI. On Tuesday, the Canadian Privacy Commissioner followed suit with an investigation of the company in response to a complaint alleging collection, use, and disclosure of personal information without consent. Uh, Britain expressed its own concerns. Data protection law still applies when the personal information they're processing comes from publicly available sources. I don't see how that works or how that makes sense, but um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so Michael Wooldridge, a professor of computer science at the University of Oxford, says large language models, LLM, such as those that underpin ChatGPT, Google Bard, or whatever else, uh, includes the whole of the World Wide Web, everything. Every link is followed in every page, and every link in those pages is followed. In that unimaginable amount of data, there's probably a lot of data about you and me. Uh, it isn't stored in a big database somewhere. We can't look exactly to see what information it has on me. It's all buried away in enormous opaque neural networks. Hmm. So if you're concerned about artificial intelligence or ML, which really that's what this stuff is, those are the things that are more applicable and more interesting for the current era, like Skynet and all the other stuff, whatever else, and Musk's thing or whatever. I am so unconcerned about that. I think that that's way out there. I don't think they should be connecting a lot of these ML systems to the internet willy-nilly. I think there should be regulations and requirements around it, but I'm not concerned about the machines coming to, you know, coming back in time to murder my family or whatever. Uh, but um, the the data privacy stuff, and I, I this with G, G, GPT-4, uh, I said, hey, can you tell me where Chase Cunningham lives? And it says, oh, I can't give you that information. Um, I'm Bet money, I'm going to be able to figure out a way to trick that thing to give me what I'm looking for. And if you're uh, doing research, you can probably get it to do it as well. I haven't tried Bard yet or, or Bing's new thing or whatever that's called. But they're, they're systems, they're machines, they're programs. There's ways to get them to work counter to the way that they were built. That's the nature of hacking or whatever else. Um, and if you can do that, who's in trouble? Who's legally... Required. I mean, I guess the argument is, is that data private because it's out there on the internet? I don't know. Um, my PII, your PII has all already been stolen 50 times over. So I'm really not too worried about that. And I, all it means I get one more fucking um, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, credit monitoring thing, but whatever. Um, interesting times. Things are coming. Things are changing. Uh, the applicability of the use cases is growing too. Uh, try this stuff out. I mean, that's that's what I would encourage people to do. If you're interested in these things, um, the best way to not be afraid of something is to confront it and be familiar with it. Not that I would ever do that for a tarantula because I just don't want to be near it and I'm terrified of spiders. But with AI, go play with it. Go figure out what it does. Use it. Um, it's not AI, but you know, whatever. I've almost run the route of trying to be the one person that says that it's ML. Uh, anyway, um, know that. Uh, be aware. I'll see you in a couple weeks at RSA. As always, stay smart. Stay safe. Stay secure. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.